Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 1. That's where we'll be at. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll let you know that uh, it was in 1908, a lady by the name of Miss Anna Jarvis of Philadelphia, she wanted to do something. She wanted to remember her mother and do something special. So she celebrated the very first, I guess, in her opinion, Mother's Day. And then she started a movement. She wanted to make that a special day. So she started a movement across America. And six years later, in 1914, Congress enacted and the president signed a letter stating that Sunday in May was going to be Mother's Day. And so that's how we got that, and it's been kind of a tradition ever since 1918 then for us, or 1914. Um, She wanted to share those feelings and, and thought everybody else would. So the Bible then also details mothers and details their roles in life and the roles that they play in our society and with our kids and with their husbands. And so Hannah is a real godly example of one. And so I thought we'd take a moment to look at an example of Hannah this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1, if you're there. We'll start in verse 1, and it says, There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. He was the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Boy, that's a mouthful. And he had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other one was called Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came... For Elkanah to sacrifice. He would give portions of that meat to his wife Penina and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, and her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would then say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, it says, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord All the days of his life. 
No razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought that she was drunk. And he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul unto the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered and said to her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way, and she ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she called his name Shamuel, because I asked of the Lord for him. And when her husband Elkanah went up with all of the family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, this time Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord. And he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah said. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After she had weaned him, she took the boy with her, as young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephaphah flower, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord there in Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. She said to him, Pardon me, Lord. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to thee, Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Hannah, or Hannah as we know her, is a word that means grace or graciousness. She was a gracious woman indeed. Think about this. She became a mother by what? By faith and prayer. She introduced to us here in 1 Samuel as a childless woman. But through faith and prayer, she becomes a mother. The mother of one of the greatest men who was ever to walk the face of this earth. Samuel. Samuel in Hebrew means heard by God. So in other words, because the Lord heard her prayer, she named him just that. The Lord has heard. And she dedicated her son. The one that she so desired to him. And as our book opens up. And we begin the setting of this story. It's the last time of the judges. There is turmoil. There is chaos. There is moral degradation going on. Samson has died. Everything's helter-skelter. And people really aren't even 
getting a word from the Lord. They need someone to rise up and take leadership of the nation. It was so bad that chapter 3 and verse 1 says, In those days the word of the Lord was scarce, it was rare, and there were not many visions. Even God now had very little to say to them during this time period. They were in a rut, and they needed something to get them out of it. And that was going to be Hannah and her son that she so longed for and desired that she was going to give over unto the Lord. Samuel is going to become one of the greatest men of God that there ever was. And he set Israel on a course that actually worked out great for that nation and for the world. And what a wonderful legacy then Hannah has given to us as a godly woman and as dedication to her vow and to the son that she desired. Verse 1, if you're there in our text, it starts like this. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country in Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. And verse 2 tells us that he had two wives. One of them was Hannah and the other Penina. And it makes a point that Penina had children and Hannah had none. Elkanah, he's from the tribe of Ephraim, one of the sons of Joseph. He married two women, it said, so that already tells us that he's probably in trouble. You know, the Lord has said from the beginning, even Jesus made mention that from the beginning it was not so, that I want one man and woman to be together, not multiples. So you can tell that there's probably some trouble coming then. The second thing that we learned, that in this household, one of them has several children and the other one has none. So that is also probably going to create a problem as we go forward. I, I imagine it creates a big rift. Now verses 3 through 8 gives us a little deeper instruction here about their household. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty in Shiloh. That's where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, the high priest, served the Lord. And whenever the day came for him to sacrifice his offering there, it says that he would give portions of the meat to Penina and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a more worthy, a double portion because he loved her and because the Lord had closed her womb. And verse 6 says, because the Lord had closed her womb, Her rival, it says, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of God to worship, this would continue to go on. She was provoked by Penina until that she would not eat and she would weep bitterly. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Am I not better for you than ten sons? (laughs) Elkanah, the first thing we find out is the same thing that you've probably found out about us ladies is that your husband's not perfect, is he? (laughs) Here he is. He's not perfect and he's trying, bless his heart, but he ain't perfect. He doesn't have it all figured out. Good thing about him, it does say that he's a God-fearing man. He is, he is trying to worship in the best way possible. 
<clears throat> and he's struggling with this. Year after year, he goes and does what's commanded of them. Actually, in Deuteronomy, on the feasts, there was three feasts per year that you would go to the temple, to, uh, to the tabernacle at this time, to worship. And it says year after year, he went and worshiped, and he would make this, this trek up to there. And the people... I am so glad that as the Holy Spirit was moving us to write the scripture and inspired it, that he showed us people with all of their flaws, with all of their emotions, and all of the things that goes on because the Bible is about real life. It's about what you and I live every day. And this is where we can draw some of our inspiration from on how to react to situations. They had wishes. They had problems. They had heartaches. They had things going on in life just like we do. So what happened? I'm not alone. I'm not experiencing brand new things. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. That's nothing new. So let's take a look at this story. Elkanah, he's like Jacob. He's got more than one wife. He's got a mixed marriage. So the dynamics of this family is like fire and gasoline, as we find out. He fears God, and he's trying to take the whole family up to worship. To go up there and to do that. But then he goofs up. You talk about dysfunctional. Yeah. Dysfunctionalities went all the way back. One of the things that's essential for us to understand. As parents and grandparents. And even as adults. That kids. The kids look at us. And how we interact. As husband and wife. As brother and sister in Christ as how we interact with our social means. They are looking to us for their standards of what's right and wrong and how they are supposed to act as well. So we are setting an example for them in everything that we do in life. Now Elkanah is creating by his example a tough situation for these kids because it says here that they went up to worship and they're watching him. And he, after the sacrifice, after the worship service, they're going to have a pitch in. They take the rest of what their sacrifice was that wasn't used as the sacrifice, and they enjoy it as a feast. They're having a pitch in. And what does Elkanah do in this pitch in? It says that he takes little portions and gives it to the kids at the kiddie table, because you know there's a kiddie table, right? <laughs> There's a kiddie table over here, and he's going to give some portions to the kids, and then he's going to give some portions to Penina, their mother. But then he goes back to the buffet line, and he starts hammering off some bigger portions, double portions for the other woman, the one that maybe they had to call Aunt Hannah. And they see all of this going on in this family dynamic. Is that how I'm supposed to act? But he gives him the double portion to her. And why does he do that? Well, it tells us in verse 6, he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. In 5 and 6 there. Oh. Enter into the picture favoritism. Favoritism. Never experienced that, have you? Have you ever experienced favoritism? Let me ask you, you ever had to deal with that in situations with your family? Yeah, me too. I come from a split family. I know all about it. This hits really close to home. 
It really does. Favoritism, double portions, different standards, Christmas, birthdays. I got you. You've got my attention now. I've got my attention focused on what's going on because I've been there and done that. How does it continue? Looking at all of this, the kids are seeing it. And what do they see? What does favoritism bring out? Rivalries. And what comes along with the rivalry? I heard a couple of the words there that I was going to say. Favoritism creates a rivalry which creates mental attitude problems and sins of envy. Jealousy. Bitterness. Vindictiveness. Hatred. Do I need to go on? No. I know all about it and I'm sure you do too. Those are the worst kinds of things. And those are the things that's hard to fix. Those are the things that will stick with you if you don't root them out quickly because they'll grow deep and they'll grow long. It doesn't sit any better with Penina than it would with you of the way Elkanah was treating Hannah. Think about it for a minute. Your husband and the father of your kids is showing such favoritism. And then not only does he give her the double portion, but he's doting over her. Why are you so sad? Why are you crying? Am I not better than ten sons to you? Grab something to eat. You know what he's doing? He's making it obvious who he loves more, isn't he? Favoritism. Elkanah loves Hannah even more, even though in their social structure, the women who bore the children, it says children were an inheritance of God to them. He should have looked on her. But no, he was looking on Hannah. He was like Jacob was also. And so he was setting a poor example there. And Hannah, bless her heart, thought that she was letting him down. She wanted so bad, her heart's desire was to give a child. So while Penina thought she should have been highly favored, she was really kind of pushed to the side. And so were her kids. Now... Look at what happens that it says goes on because of this. Elkanah loved her more and he felt sorry for her because the Lord had closed the womb. And in that, Penina kept irritating her rival, it says, provoking her in order to irritate her. And then, mm-hmm, most of you can relate to this. Hannah is the hero of our story. But look at how it starts. She has no children. She is barren. Her womb, it, womb is closed, and her rival, the other one in the household, because remember, in this time period, y'all stayed in the same house. Y'all went together to worship. So she's facing all of these things, plus her rival throwing it in her face and pointing at her kids. Look what I've got and what you don't have. What would I do in that situation? Think about it, because this is real life. What would you do in a situation like this? Would you want to retaliate, be resentful, become bitter? Would you even question God? Let's go further. There are irritating, hurtful, mocking words that are coming out to, from her, and you betcha, but Hannah did not pick up any jawbones, did she? Remember a few weeks ago? 
She didn't pick up a jawbone. She is understandably sad. She's got a man who is trying like most of us guys do. We don't have a clue, ladies, on really how to comfort you in times like this. He says the same thing maybe that I would. Am I not better to you than ten sons? (laughs) That's not a big help. But he thinks like the songwriter for Sonny and Cher on I Got You, Babe. You know, isn't that all you need? Just us, I got you, babe. And it's not flying very well with her. She's still bitter. She's still in tears and she's still not eating. Verse 7 gives us some more about this family dynamics that's going on here. It went on year after year. This wasn't a one-time deal. Year after year. Isn't that the way usually families are? I mean, you're stuck with us. So year after year after year, this was going on. And I can't imagine that. And they would go up to the house of the Lord, and it says even there she would provoke her. She would poke her just to irritate her while she was there to worship God. And Elkanah just knows he's got a problem, and he's hoping it to go away. (laughs) He's just trying to avoid the whole situation, and he comforts her the best that he can. He says, I'm everything you need plus a stick of gum to go along with it. You don't need anything else. I'm here for you. So, but remember, Hannah is the name of grace, isn't it? And so she sets an example proper to us. I don't know what your answer would be to all this situation, but I am very surprised at what her answer was. It says that after that, over the pitch-in was over, she stood up, she got up, and it says in bitterness of soul... She wept greatly and she began praying to the Lord and she made a vow to him. Lord Almighty, she began to pray. <laughs> that's, that's not a translation that gives you the real idea. Yahweh Sabaoth. It means the Lord of hosts. And the word Sabaoth or host is the army. She is praying to the Lord of Israel who is the Lord of their army. She's saying, this is war, <laughs> but I'm not going to fight it myself. I'm not going to pick up the jawbone. I am going to turn this thing over to the Lord of the army of Israel to take care of this for me. What she is doing is launching a biblical nuclear warfare on this situation. She's going all the way back to the time of Moses. You remember Moses and the children of Israel have just left. The plagues have happened. They are on their way. And the Lord tells them to camp right here in this valley with mountains on every side. And the Red Sea behind them. And they camp. And then what do they see? Pharaoh. The Egyptian army. Chariots. Horses. Arrows. Spears. Swords. Weapons that they don't have in an organized army. What do the children of Israel do? The same thing that you and I do in life situations. They freaked out. They just started freaking out. They started screaming. What have you done? Did you bring us out here in the desert just to die? Is there not enough graves in Egypt that you bring us out here? What did Moses say to him? He got a word from the Lord that said, Stand still, for the Lord will fight for you. Stand still. Whenever you do battle spiritually, you turn it over to Yahweh Sabaoth. 
And then you stand still and allow him to take over your situation. So Hannah stands up. She walks over by the door of the, temp- of the tabernacle. She begins to pray and to weep bitterly from her soul. And guess what was happening? The high priest, Eli, was sitting there. And what was he doing? He was watching her. Isn't it funny? We don't need the world to be watching us and trying to drag us down. We got enough folks right here in the body that want to do that, don't we? Isn't that amazing? Here is one of the highest level men of God. Here is the high priest. And he's sitting there and he's going to be judgmental on this woman. He's going to sit there and watch her, it says in verse 12. And it says he watched her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart. And her lips were moving, but it was in silence. She was moving, but the prayers were going up from her in bitterness of soul. And she was weeping. And he's just sitting there watching. And what does he do? He thinks she's drunk. That's why she's crying and talking and mumbling all of this stuff. And then it says that he told her to get out of the way. Put your wine away from you. Folks, we need to mind our own business in things that we don't have the facts about. A good friend of mine had a blessed little grandmother who told him, believe half of what you see and nothing of what you hear. And isn't that the truth? That's some top-notch advice because here's a guy that was seeing something. He was watching something and he thought he knew what was going on and he assumed totally backwards of everything that was going on. So believe only half of maybe what you see. I've seen people stand in a corner and I thought they're talking about me. And then later on I go talk to one of them who would be my friend and they'd say, man, he was having a real bad problem and didn't want anyone else to hear what was going on. So he was keeping an eye that no one was, was coming close. Believe only half of what you see and don't assume that what's going on. We have no idea. Believe nothing what you hear. But anyway... Shame on Eli, because Eli, unlike her, when he opened his mouth, he said something, didn't he? And he said something that was wrong. He had misjudged the situation, and he said something that was wrong to her. He sins a second way by doing that. First he judged, and then he opened his mouth with a wrongful statement. But then he tells her in verse 14, How long are you going to stay drunk, woman? Put away your wine. In other words, come on, let's move this thing out. And again... How would you react if you was in Hannah's shoes? Hannah is not only facing all of these problems with home life, with barrenness, with provocation from my rival. I'm facing all of this. People tell you what? Turn it over to God. Just go to God and turn it over to Him and bless her heart. She tries to do that and then what happens? The church folks all after her too. I've got family and now the church folk after me, she says. She tried to do what was right. And so I say, what would you do if you're in her shoes? How would you react? You going to scream at the preacher? (laughs) Cuss the elders out? Put a post on Facebook? You know, look what happened to me. See how many likes and hearts I can get? No. Says she moved on. She did something that is very, very wonderful. She replied in verse 15. 
Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer or hard drink, but I am pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant to be a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of anguish and grief. Oh my, that is probably not how I would have reacted. But she did. She set an example for me and hopefully for you as well how to handle situations in life, didn't it? And she says, I have tried my best to overcome all of this and to turn it over to God and then even that seems to smack me in the face and I get accused and I've got every right to snap now, don't I? I've got every right. You remember, Samson, now I have the right. No. No, I don't have every right to snap. You know why? I, and this is the lesson I had to learn the hard way, by experience, I am only responsible for myself. I am not responsible for anyone else on what they say, what they do, what they think about anything or anybody or me. I can't change their mind. I can't stop them from talking. I can't stop them from not liking me. I had those situations all the way back from little kid through work. And it only hit me a couple of years ago. Quit worrying about that. I'm not responsible for them. I can't change that. I'm responsible for me. And if I react, I'm held accountable. Samson thought he had every right, didn't he? But he was still held accountable. Because you're not held accountable for what they do. You're held accountable for what you do. And so I have to watch every situation for how I handle it. And how I react, because I'm the only one that controls me, and I'm going to answer for me. So it says in uh, Proverbs 15, verse 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. How true is that? What do you think would have happened if Hannah would have bit back? What do you think would have happened if she picked up the jawbone? Wouldn't have been good, would it? Wrath would have started flying, but a soft answer turns it away. She said, not so, my Lord, I am praying. I am a woman who has deep anguish and grief. Look at what happens and what is the result of those soft words. It says, verse 17, he said, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have just asked petition for. Isn't that wonderful? Not only does he basically say, sorry, I overreacted here, misjudged. But he also says, now, I am praying with you. Isn't that great to have the high priest praying with you? May the God of Israel grant you what you just asked, young lady. Soft answer. Turned away wrath, didn't it? She said, no, may your servant find favor in your sight. Wow, what a wonderful attitude she had back to him. If I could only be like that. At first sight, he thought I was wicked. At first sight, he thought I was drunk. He responded wrong. 
But she was responsible for her. And she said, no, I'm your servant. And I am none of those things. Don't think that of me. And with those humble things, everything went on. And now she had someone else praying in her corner. Her name is Hannah. It means grace or gracious. And that's just what she was there to Eli. Notice earlier, it was noted twice up there in verses 5 and 6 that it was the Lord who closed her womb. If I remember right, it was the Lord who told Moses to camp right there with mountains on each side and the Red Sea behind you. You know what? Romans 8.28 is a great scripture. All things work together for good. He didn't say all things are good. But I'm here to tell you that wherever you are at in your situation of life right this moment, if you are following him and trusting him, is right where he expects you to be. She doesn't realize the graciousness that he's giving her to get ready to prepare for the greatest man in that time period to happen, Samuel. But to do that, she is right where she is supposed to be, barren, childless, upset, provoked by a rival. But she is right where she's supposed to be. How do you react? Do you react like the world? Or do you react the way God expects you to react? Like a soft word will turn away wrath. How do I react to situations? Because I'm right where he wants me to be if I'm following him. And he's getting ready to bless you through that and turn everything to good. And to a positive thing. So she goes on. She bears all of this stuff. Even though she's getting it rubbed into her face all the time. And she continues. And her example is for me to continue with God and praise. She continues praising him. Worshiping him. And then look at what else she's going to do. She goes on with her prayer. And after she prays. Look at verse 18. Then she went her way. She ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Wow. Boy, did she just overcome a lot of things right there through that prayer. Move on. I'm going to let you know another little secret. When you rest something in faith with God, when you rest it there, don't try to help him. (laughs) Leave it with him. It says she left it there. She did left from that point with a smile and she ate and she everything was all right. Why? I have left it with you. Isn't that what we're commanded to do? Cast everything at his feet. Leave it with me because I care for you. Pray to me continually. A prayer of faith is not one that is where I am still upset every day after I've left it with him. And I continue to pray every day being upset. That's doubt. A prayer of faith says I've left it with him. And I have faith that he's going to work out whichever way it comes out. It may not come out the way I want it to, to be honest. But whatever way it came out, if I am following him and I have left it with him, my father will do what is best for me in the long run. And so whatever the situation is, I just need to accept that and continue on and leave it with him and move on with that and don't continually try to bring it up again. Hannah did just that. And then look what happened. Verse 19. They arose. They worshipped the next day before the Lord. They went back to their home in Ramah. 
And what does it say happened? It says Elkanah and his wife were in love. And she became in the course of time pregnant. And she had Samuel. Samuel. She gave birth to a son. What made Hannah a mother? Faithfulness to the Lord and prayer. It covered through her and all of that. She gave great care to that baby afterwards too. Great care. She cherished it because she knew her time was short with it. She said, I am not going to the next worship because the newborn is not able to travel that way. I am going to cherish him. I'm going to nourish him. And whenever the time comes, I will take him. I will complete my vow. There's another point. If you make a vow to the Lord, remember it. If he blesses you with it, remember it. Even though it's tough, because what she so desired was Samuel, but now she's going to have to turn him back because that was the vow she made. And she does it. She says, I will fulfill my vow then, and I will present him to the Lord, but right now I'm going to love him and take care of him. And as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back on up for us, I want you to see the faithfulness to that vow that she made with God. She didn't forget. She received the blessing, and then it says that after she weaned, she took the boy with her as young as he was, verse 24 says, and she brought him up to Eli. And she says, pardon me, Lord, you remember me? A little while back, I was the one who was praying here for you. This is what I was praying for. This son and the Lord heard me and I am now in the vow that I made giving him back to you as I said and she brought him back and she kept her promise and she says he will worship the Lord here with you forever. Godly women make godly mothers but it also if you follow this pattern that we just saw with Hannah and her life how she reacted to bad situations It'll make you a godly whatever. It'll make you a better whatever. A better person. A better Christian. Husband. Father. Mother. Wife. Co-worker. Whatever it is. If we follow this prescription. Verse 20. She named her boy Samuel. Which means God heard my prayer. God hears you and I as well. And this is an example of what happens when we do, in faith, give him our prayers and our cares and we leave them with him. Close with Happy Mother's Day. And again, be mindful of everybody's situation at this time, but Happy Mother's Day. And may this story of Hannah, Samuel, and all that went on be a constant reminder to you and I of how to live a godly life before the Lord and how we will be blessed for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for mothers, for Mother's Day, and for this example from your word, which lives and abides forever, on how all of us need to handle life and situations and pressure times. Father, thank you for your word and may our eyes be opened and our ears and our minds to accept and to be challenged to actually enact these things into our life, Father. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.